Hey, Afronauts. I'm Chelsea Gaydon. I'm Jill Teal, and we're your hosts for this episode of The Hero's Journey, where we sit down with Black writers in the speculative fiction space. Our hero today is Britt Riderly. Britt is a young adult and adult fantasy and speculative fiction writer and booktuber. Thanks for joining us today, Britt. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Let's get to it. So <laughs> let's chat a little bit about your beginnings as a young writer, young reader. Um, what are some things that you read as a child that made you fall in love with reading? Mercy. I read so much stuff as a kid. Um, let's see. I read a lot of fantasy. I've always been into fantasy. So I read um, The Night World by L.J. Smith. I was with the rest of her fans pining for the 10th novel. Like, girl, you have an appointment. Where is this book? Um, as a writer, I'm a bit more sympathetic, but also as a writer now, I'm like, but where was it though? So I read that. Um, I read- what was, her, know, what was her, like, did she have an explanation? Like what happened there? I never, I never found out. And oh, that's man. what makes it where I'm like, what Ooh, happened? That's heartbreaking. <laughs> that's a, that's a villain I, origin story right there. Right. <laughs> I never got what I was waiting for. And now I have trust issues. It's all over for everybody else. Just <laughs> off of that. Yeah, I have no idea. If I splunked, I could probably find out now. Mm-hmm. But I, I no longer, my heart has grown cold towards her. Right. Mm. So I don't even want the answer anymore. Yeah. Although I think that the 10th book is out, but oh. I'm, I am not the me anymore who would even want to read that book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just in a different uh, reading wave. So I, I read a lot of white fantasy as a kid. Um, the Night mm-hmm. World, I read um, all of Harry Potter. I read all of the Twilight series, I stood in line for the midnight release. Amazing. Yes, my Dedication. parents were real soldiers, but they're probably like, you know, there are worse things to have to stand in line with your kid at 12 o'clock. Yep. So we're just going <laughs> to charge this to the game. Um, so I read that. I read, yeah, mostly, mostly that. And then just other like random fantasy, but like those, those were like the stories that I really remember vividly as a kid, a lot of vampire stories. That kind of stuff. I and I talked about on my channel before how I'm like it was just so white. It was mm-hmm. so white. And I was always looking for more, but I didn't know then how to articulate what I was searching for. And that that just came later. But as a kid, what made me fall in love with reading was these like sort of iconic white fantasies that I wouldn't, I wouldn't reread at this point (laughs) but I appreciate them for what they did for me yeah I was gonna say exactly that like I think there's something really beautiful about being able to say like that was meaningful to me at a moment yeah a moment in time that has passed we're gonna let it go (laughs) we're gonna move on um and, and not try to like pull it, you know, pull it with you, you know, through all the growth you've experienced, but just say it, it was what it was. And it was it. what it was. And that's yeah. okay. It like yeah. introduced you to the genres, but now you've grown. And now I've grown. Thank goodness for growth. And I know you mentioned your channel. I'm sure you're referring to your YouTube channel, right? I am. Uh, my YouTube channel. Well, yeah, booktube, author tube. Um, so I talk about the books that I'm reading. I talk about 
projects that I'm working on sort of ambiguously. I really just more focus on like the writing process than specifics about characters, you know, intellectual property, you got to protect that. So yeah, I, I really appreciate the space, um, the people that I've met. I met uh, my first critique partner and author to Cache, her channel is Shay with the Hobbies. And it's just, it's really great because I've sort of I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid reading those books and sort of as I would be reading them, I would be sort of in my head rewriting them as Black anyway. And so I actually started writing what I call on my channel, hashtag first fantasy. I started writing that when I was 16, around the time that I was reading all of that stuff. And so on my channel, I sort of talk about that a bit more, but I put writing down for a long time. Um, and I mean, I'm in grad school, you know, that really sort of consumed all of my intellectual and creative energy for the first couple of years, but it also burned me completely out. And I got to a place where I was, I just realized one day that I hadn't voluntarily read a book in a long time. And so I picked up hashtag first fantasy and I was like, wait, but I like these people. These characters are funny and they're cute and they're Black. And I just, wow, why did I step away? Mm -hmm. and, and going into a revision of that sort of gave me new life. And it was actually my sister that encouraged me to start a YouTube channel because um, she thinks I'm hilarious. And I'm just like, I, okay. You're very like personable. <laughs> so I definitely, yeah, it makes sense. She was like, you should start a YouTube channel. And I was like, that sounds like more work. Um, but <laughs> as I started, as I got farther through the rewrite of Hashtag First Fantasy, I was like, mm, what's, how do you do this publishing thing? Like what's required? And I started like looking for, okay, how would I find a writing community? And so I just decided like, yeah, YouTube channel could be a, a good way to do that. And the community has been, it's been lovely. It's been lovely. I've met a lot of really amazing people. I've read a lot of books that I would not have read on my own with amazing people, one of which like changed my dissertation topic. Like it's really been a very healthy way to balance like the rigorous intellect of grad school and the rigorous creativity um, of crap for creative writing and like making sure that I'm a full person while I'm doing that. And so the YouTube channel is really great for allowing me to express rigorous creativity when I am just tapped out on everything else. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, community is everything. Like coming it into is. like the writing space, it's so solitary. So having people who you can, you know, chat with and like lean on, I know, at least for me personally, like finding like the the black writers group that um, we're part of that, that really like changed things, you know, it like accelerated like progress and stuff. And yeah, community is great. 100%. 100%. I really can't thank Cache enough for the, I mean, yes, absolutely. Because she has a very like, she has great attention to detail. Um, and I do too, but I'm like, you can have attention to detail and not be good at everything. So like, she's in STEM, I'm in humanities. Mm -hmm. So the the um, sort of short story installation that I was doing on my channel when it first started, Tales of Eliza Black, that is the most science fiction thing I have ever worked on. A lot of my other stuff is just very, very fantasy, magical. Mm -hmm. I don't have to spend as much time explaining 
the systems behind things. But Eliza Black is a very hard, so it's a harder magic system than I've ever done before. And that's mm-hmm. why it's good to have a diverse community around you and like diverse intellectually that that do and think in different ways. I am absolute crap at family trees. She's had to correct my family relations multiple times. Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be her great aunt and not her grandmother? Oh, man. How so? And then she explains <laughs> it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. also wrong. Great. Thank you. So <laughs> it's been really, it's been really great to grow in that way with someone who I met on a random Thursday night writing chat or something and it's mm-hmm. just blossomed from there and now we have the Riderly Conversations collaboration and Friday morning reading sprints like it's just been a really great place to grow community and explore explore the craft in different and different reading genres also that's beautiful oh <laughs> thank you okay so there was a quote from one of your videos it's be careful but don't be cowardly Do you think you could elaborate a little bit on what that means and the question of who can have what adventure? Yeah. And you know, the thing about growth is people change. You you change what you think about certain things. So I'll say what I meant at the time and then I'll like meditate on how I feel about that now. Because I said that, wow, that was early I just had to I think it was like July 2020, I think was when the video was from. Oh, that was Mm. my first month. And now I'm in my second year. Wow. Well, yeah. Um, Tell us how you've grown. And happy anniversary. That's huge. Thank you. So, yeah. So the video was um, the Stephanie Myers self-injury. And I was addressing like the the comments that white writers would make about like, oh, I don't. It just like it didn't occur to me to write that character that way. So Stephanie Meyer had made some comments to that effect about it just it didn't occur to her to write like persons of color in her book and the the director of the movie wanted more diversity in the cast but she was like that's not how they're written da 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 um and so then getting into like the wider discourse of authors saying things like oh well I just don't know how and I don't know and blah 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 and it's like absolutely you need to have respect for writing an experience that is not your own but that is not an excuse to whitewash or otherwise or otherwise um, fantastically alter the landscape of the world we live in. Because one of the things, one of the ways that I've grown in that articulation is at some point, and it's not just white writers that do that, quite as a scale, but that's not this that's not this question. So um the what I have seen is like the identity makeup of the books be part of the fantasy. Like, where are we that the entire world is Anglo as Saxon? Like, where where, where are we precisely exactly? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so things like that, where it's like, oh, like your imagination is utterly white, got it. And then when pushback comes, i.e. Black Twitter comes for your edges, you want to cry and it's like, well... Listen, no one minds you being calculated about what you do and don't have the capacity to do, but where mm-hmm. you are can't be where you always are. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to take responsibility to say, okay, what is it within my ability to do? Like, what do I have the right to do? What stories do I have to write? Because we've seen writers try to write protagonists who are outside of their identity and, and like write that. And that's sort of how I've grown, where it's like, hmm. Yes, do we want to see black characters? We do, but you know, 
I'm, I'm of two minds at this point because I'm just like, why? Why are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it checkbox or are you really representing a diverse world where these characters have substance and you have taken time? And I guess that would be the evolution of be careful, but don't be cowardly is mm. I just have extra suspicion where I'm just like, freak it. If it's all white, I'm not even pressed. Like at this point, just get out of the way. Honestly, like just get out of the way for someone else to tell their story mm-hmm. if you're not going to do it anyway. Um, but yeah, definitely in the in the moment it was like, don't use that as an excuse to never write a story that's anything but all white. If that's what, not what you can do today, okay, well then don't do it sloppily. But five years from now, you should not be using the same excuse for why everyone in your book is white or is x or is x or is x right so yeah it's like it's like a white fantasy if you just leave it that way and if you're not growing then it's kind of like you're trying to maintain that white fantasy right that's what it seems like right and just say that like if you are saying my fantasy is not having to deal with y'all then just say that (laughs) yeah and that'll be for you and whoever and whoever buys it because someone's Mm -hmm. giving you coins we just know who you are and what time it is now yep yeah. I, I feel you on the the nuance of that of your point though and kind of how you've evolved on it though because I feel like the pressure and like the calling in has resulted in just you know a lot of authors writing white people with brown skin right <laughs> and it's like this is not this is not what we were asking for like and uh if you're gonna do this like don't don't bother keep it like just keep it absolutely and I think and this is honest the nuance continues because I don't and I'm, I'm not really using this for like white authors who are just out here being flagrant but I definitely think cancel culture got a lot of people scared because and we know who cancel culture disproportionately affects anyway but what I have seen on the internet is not really a calling in it's been a calling out and if it were a culture of calling in I think people would be braver so it's just like, oh, like I, at some point, I'm just like, I question the people doing the canceling. I just not question as in like, I don't trust any of you, although I'm not a trusting person in general, but I just want to know who set off the initial alarm. Because at some point, it's like everything at this point has currency. Everything someone does is to calculate how woke you are or how much of an ally you are. Me and allyship don't mess with that language, but like, all of it, I'm just like, it, it's also calculated that I'm like, genuinely, do you care if the stories are good and are helping these young readers? Or are you just trying to look like you're not part of the problem? Because how is what you just did going to have that author, author grow versus putting them in a corner and they come back the exact same way because they have been exiled rather than like educated. And mm-hmm. it's not necess- it's not really your job to educate that person, but you spend a lot of energy anyway. So like, it might yeah. as well be something that's actually going to to move the needle a little bit and not mm. just like go away because if they're white you know they're coming right back exactly and usually they're uh, coming yeah. back not changed it's like exactly yeah and a lot of allyship is very performative as well and it's I like trust it that's same that's not what we're here for exactly the entire language is utterly ridiculous because it doesn't leave any room for rejection like all you have to do to say an ally, to be an ally, say I'm an ally. But what if I'm like, I don't want you. What like, right. what if I'm just like, your credentials ain't up to date. Right. I'm your ally, whether you, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Exactly. I'm just like, okay. And in real life, 
i.e. outside of the internet, which has a lot of people in some sort of fantasy world anyway. Um, in reality, that's not how allyship works. There's negotiations, there are treaties, there are things like, it, it's a very formal process about what each party is getting out of it, which is my number one. So number one, it's like, it don't work like that. But mm. number two, the white people deploy the language of allyship. It seems as though you're coming to help Black people, and I could say people of color, but I really am talking about Black people in this moment, so mm -hmm. I'm going to say Black because that's who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it seems as though you are coming to help Black people with the race problem, with just, which just Ooh. furthers the the assumption that white people are not raced and that's not true you mm. just have had the privilege of not having to acknowledge that you are raced and so if you are not raced and you're in a, a racially homogenous setting when a person of color when a black person comes in and and they they are subject to discrimination and racism or sexism or any amount of things it looks like they brought the problem with them because they brought difference in with them and so the whole language of allyship implicitly furthers that orientation towards who bears the burden of race. And I don't like that. I don't like it either. You, I think uh, we've had conversations about how like there's a lot of there's a, a lack of conversation about deconstructing whiteness in general that needs to be had. Because that would require actual labor. Yeah. Like there's not really a way to fake that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there is. If we started doing it, someone would find a way to fake it immediately. But it would take you some time. <laughs> like you would have to really be like, how can I swerve this so I don't have to change? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how long must I cry on the internet? How much must my mascara run? Mm -hmm. It would just be a whole new thing to like get together and no one wants to do that now. We're in a pandemic. Yeah, this reminds me of that, that Toni Morrison interview where the interviewer asks her, about racism or you know mm. what she does as a you know as a black writer and she's like racism is not my problem <laughs> like it is a it is a it is a white pathology like it is it is a problem that is rampant in the white community and they should start doing something about it wow like gotta that. love professor morrison I mean, she's just yeah mm. always always on point she'd be snatching them interviewers up <laughs> by the collar uh, <laughs> like, do, you, are you think, are you, do you hear your question are you listening Literally. to the implications and what you're asking me Literally, I remember okay. an interviewer asked her when she was going to stop writing about Black people, like when she was going to start writing about white people. She uh, said, you can't even fathom how utterly racist that question is. And I You can't even fathom. <laughs> so good. Like, go, like, tonight, long after this interview is over, you're going to pour yourself a bottle of wine. You're going to sit with your glass of wine on the couch, and then it will hit you. Yeah, just <laughs> think, think about what you've just said. <laughs> exactly. And then you'll be sending me a follow-up email. Uh, Professor Morrison, I just wanted to follow up on my question and apologize sincerely. I didn't mean it that way. Thank uh -huh. you for your grace in correcting me. Hilarious. Whew. All right, let's let's switch gears a little bit. So you are a devoted Christian. Can you talk a little bit about how your writing is inspired by your faith? Yeah, and it's so funny because Kashay and I literally just had a writerly, a writerly conversation talking about... Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talking about um, writing our faith. Um, and so for me, everything is about God and my relationship to him and how what I'm doing is serving him or not. Is it serving God or is it serving self? And so for me, what I write, what I include, what I don't include, how I treat certain issues, that is heavily influenced by, is this going to glorify God? Is this going to prick someone's heart? Is this going 
to um, encourage someone to start healing? Is this going to encourage someone to reach out? Um, it's, it, it's by that. So even if the way I treat an issue, even if I, if the treatment of it isn't like scripture, so even if the depiction is sinful, how does the church react to that, right? Because the church has this reputation of being hypocritical and harsh and all of these authoritarian, all of these things. And it's like, so let's depict a loving church. Like let's, because that's what God has ordered. Um, so things like that, things like, okay, let's show a flawed church and let's talk about how like that's to be expected because the church is full of humans. Right, so right. let's also get over trying to hold the church as an institution and not seeing it as a body of believers who are trying to work out their soul salvation. Like the church mm -hmm. is a hospital. You're mm -hmm. going to find sick people there. Yep, so yeah. I, I think like things like that, that I hear all the time, I want to try to express and to work through in my writing through my characters. And it doesn't have to be through a central, through a central theme, but just for that to be a part of the character's journey, for that to be part of the environment that they're in, that as a matter of course, yeah, we're going to church on Sunday and yeah, me and God are not cool right now. Okay, well, how is that going to change over the course of the story? So not making it like, oh, this is everything, but making it everything by not treating it as something that needs to be overstated. It's just part of the fabric of, of life as it is for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, that sounds like a reflection of you know yourself, yeah. so. <laughs> Indeed. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, there was something else on your YouTube channel that you oh recently my. announced. <laughs> oh my, oh yes. Yes, so I saw your video and you talked about going the self-publish indie route rather than mm -hmm. the traditional, <laughs> you got the fan out. You got the fan out. <laughs> getting heated it's a little it's a little heated in oh, yeah, here so, I don't mess up your audio though <laughs> so what are you most excited about when it comes to you know your self-publishing journey yeah and like as I talked about on my video my faith also drove that decision because looking at okay can I do this in trad pub or would there be too much pressure to change or to contort the message so that it's more palatable mm. but what I have learned is especially from reading like Frank Peretti which I actually have literally right here getting it my teen Bible class um, mm -hmm. that I'm getting ready to teach. But this book sold over 2.7 million copies in print. And I had been operating under this um, cowardly assumption that like, oh yeah, no one wants to read Christian fiction. And mm -hmm. it's all about just letting people do whatever they want to do. It's not about submission to God, blah, blah, blah. Um, but reading Peretti's body of work overall encouraged me that honest seekers are going to find God and God is going to draw honest seekers to him. And if people don't want that, then they're not going to pursue that, but they never were. So mm -hmm. me writing the book or not writing the book or putting this element in or, or um, sort of erasing it, that is, has everything to do with my walk with God. I can't predict what is going to happen when it's out there. What I can do is be as faithful as I can to use this gift as a ministry. And so once I sort of, um, through a lot of prayer, <laughs> sort of like sharks off that, like, you know, you can't, is Chad Pub conducive to you saying writing as a ministry? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. If no, than this. And so that was one of the major decisions as, a, as well as like all the other things I listed about like just the money, the exploitation, all these different things where it's right. just like, it ain't sitting right with my spirit anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but these were things I was willing to bear because I'm like, oh, I don't have a degree in business and I don't know how to blah, blah, blah. But like, again, are you walking by faith or not? Because two years ago, three years ago, when I first sort of like started rewriting the book and two years ago when I entered the YouTube space, could I have made this decision? I mean, I could have, but I would have been utterly unprepared. But who got calls he equips? When I was talking through this with Cache, she was like, I have a degree in business. Obviously, I'm going to help you. Okay. Look at that. Let's do it. God will provide. And so I really just sort of had to come to a place where it's like, this is going to, like, you're going to have to prioritize ministry and service to God and he's going to give the increase in whatever way, no matter how long it takes, will you be at peace with Jesus Christ reading this book? <laughs> are you, are you going to be like, just skip over that page 15, Lord, don't read that. Right. right. So I just sort of really had to sit with the implications of, of my decisions and why I was comfortable making certain decisions. So, yeah. Yeah. That Man, that's so exciting. Much, yeah. So much strength and just contemplation and prayer. I mean, just, yeah. Kudos to you. Yes. Thank you. But can I also say, as soon as I made this decision, the way I could have like flown away, I was like, I was so like, I instantly mm-hmm. dropped 15 pounds. Not really. I wish, but I instantly just like so much weight mm-hmm. rolled off my shoulders because now I don't have to worry about querying. I don't have to worry about yeah writing a query letter. I don't have to worry about writing a, a Twitter pitch. Like so many things of me trying to make people understand and believe in my book in these like little snippets. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about anymore. And now I can just focus on what is the message of this book? Let's focus on the craft. Let's focus on the ministry. Yep. And I immediately was like, oh my gosh, now I can do so many things that had excited me about my worlds that I sort of had to figure out how to do with Tribe Pub because Tribe Pub is so um, segregated, not like racially so, but if I sold mm-hmm. a book to Penguin, you know, I will actually, yes, racially so. <laughs> but like, that's not what I meant in that right. moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I sold a book to Penguin and they didn't want to buy but two, two books in the series, mm-hmm. now a five book series got to be a duology. And right. also I can't hint at those characters and another book that I sell to like Macmillan. So like mm-hmm. things like that, where I was like, oh mm-hmm. no, like so many of my characters are related and you get to see mm-hmm. their journey through other people's eyes. And I just, I love that sort of continuity. I love yeah. that sort of circularity. Like if anyone's been on my channel, they know that I love Mason Alexandria House. Like I love her. Now mm-hmm. I, I'm, I can't read so much of her because it's just sex, sex, sex. <laughs> but I love her storytelling. I mm-hmm. love her black love like I just I love it but one of the things that I love the most is that like it's the McLean brothers series it's the Strickland sisters Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. there's some of the people in the love after series like he owns the hotel chain that oh boy is working at and this other one I'm just like easter eggs yeah Ryan Mm -hmm. wash my hair like Mm -hmm. it's just so I love the it. connections. Yeah. yeah. The connections. And it pulls me in as a reader. The same thing with my favorite, um, favorite white fantasy series. I have no, I'm I will never be ashamed. Forthright, the Amorethian saga. I love it. I love it. If people have an issue, they're just simply gonna have to pray about it and move around because <laughs> to get my support. She just is. I love it. And I love that she is able to like take her time with developing something. And so those were my two favorite things about 
writing and I had woven them into how I tell stories that I was going to have to figure out a way to do that through Trad Club. And so when I made the decision, nah, I'm going to do indie, mm-hmm. immediately I was flooded with just like creative energy because I was like, the show's back on, y'all. I can do this again. So it was just, I just love the freedom to do what you want to do and you don't have to explain it to anybody. And I just, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, ultimate freedom. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to play the game. Exactly. Exactly. You can truly do what you want, especially because, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in how much fantasy and fiction we're surrounded by the people just act like it's just real life. But the way they act like a trad pub, 100% of what's coming out now is 100% of what readers want to see. Mm. For instance, all the trauma that we're seeing in these Black stories that are coming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love so much that Ayanna Gray wrote a Black Pan-African fantasy where these babies don't have to do with racial trauma. Mm-hmm. You can see like influences of African-American and diasporic history, but that is not, like, they're not having to deal with like police brutality. Right. Like, right. It, it's just not. And, and Black stories that do do that, I'm not saying y'all are trash. I'm just saying... The, I I think we would we just need to acknowledge that white readers in in trad pub are more comfortable with seeing us in pain than they are seeing us flourish. Mm-hmm. They are we're just existing, right? Nice. Like just nice. working Walking out life street. in regular ways that are not like super like are not just like superhuman type trauma where you really gotta like. You got to be a wizard to survive this foolishness. Like, that's really what it is. So I, I just love, and, the, and that she, Ayanna Grace says that. Like, yeah, my characters are not dealing with, with that I'm, because I said so, period. I mm-hmm. love that. And so I, some of the things that Trad Pub will like act like, oh, well, readers want to see these tropes and readers want to see X, X, and X. I'm just like, the only, like readers want to see that because that's what you're saturating the market with. And so the data is skewed because they don't mm-hmm. have a ton of other options. Right. Or at exactly. least books that don't do that. Y'all don't promote that in, in marketing. Y'all don't push those books. Right. So readers don't even know how to find them. Right. And then it looks like they're all just buying one kind of book. because That's what you're shoving in their face. Right. I don't want to have to to deal with that on indie. Like I can just write whatever mm-hmm. I want. And like the readers will come and that will be the proof that like, they're not over here just searching for trauma porn. Yep. Yeah. Well, remember us when it's time for your, your launch <laughs> book tour. We want you to come back so we can promote your debut. Absolutely will. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, speaking of which, do you want to do you want to pitch your project or projects as the case may be? Oh goodness. <laughs> I don't know how I was not prepared for this question. Maybe I skipped over it. <laughs> no, the- I, I I threw it in there just oh, now. Just, I was like, okay. we haven't like yeah, she she snuck project, that in. So we haven't like, like we haven't said like what it is. Uh, Tales of Eliza Black is a black speculative Christian fiction, um, and it's about missing black women. That's that is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's okay. about missing black women mm-hmm. um, and finding them. Yeah, finding them, but also like taking care of yourself while you find them. So it's very like this. Yeah, uh, the oh my goodness, I'm gonna forget her name now that I need it. Um, Searching for Summer. It's not a fantasy or spec fic, but it 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 deals with similar issues of like 
the the young woman's sister has gone missing mm-hmm. and she's looking for her uh speaking of summer by Kalisha Buchanan okay and she's looking for her sister but she has to also take care of her mental health mm-hmm. while she is doing that because it's hard it's hard on the mind it becomes hard on the body to be the only one in your space who is who values your life mm-hmm. especially when because they're twins so yeah the, the protagonist's name is autumn and her her twin's name is summer someone who looks exactly like you mm-hmm. like it's enough where it's just like black women they don't care about us someone who looks exactly like you disappeared without a trace and no one cares anymore yep and so dealing with with issues like yeah. that while also of course talking about like hey what is this character's relationship to god and how do we talk about god when hard things are happening because i think the the impetus like the most the easiest thing is to be like well how could a righteous god allow for xx and x mm-hmm. and i hear that so often i'm just like well here's the thing about living in a fallen world with mm-hmm. free will like this is not the destination we're just passing through here so god is not responsible for what people choose to do like we have free will you have free will you benefit from free will and there were also consequences good and bad when people use that free will irresponsibly but that's not on god and so like that's one of those things that i sort of leave in for the protagonist is like how do we deal with hard things and still remain faithful mm-hmm. to God. Yeah, and that and that definitely seems like relevant too to like situations in the world and stuff. And for teens too, I mean that's going to be so powerful for them to have stories like that where they're able to to grapple with those questions. It doesn't just gloss over everything and say, oh just pray about it. Right? It's like no this yeah, is hard. Yeah, right. This is hard. Also, yeah. <laughs> that can be used as a cop out. But actually Eliza Black is like a adult like new adult fantasy. Oh, but it's okay. yeah. The hashtag third fantasy is a um, YA and it's, I love it. It's very fluffy. It's very fun. There's black family. I I love it. And there's one thing that I haven't seen much of as outside of like Peretti Mm -hmm. is fantasy that like still engages Christianity. So like as part of the magic system. Mm -hmm. So hashtag third fantasy does that. Cause when I was a kid reading Harry Potter, I was like, yeah, but like, is anybody... A Christian in here, <laughs> like what do we mm, God think yeah, about? Yeah. So I, I love. I'm in love with this project. My um, one of my critique partners is like, I love this. I just like it's just so fun. Mm-hmm. Like the character, she's 15. She is, and she is 15. She is aggressively 15. Mm-hmm. Like wow, that really. You were committed to that. And you really believe that you're right, even now when it's all <laughs> brain down around you. But that's really, you know, the hard-headedness. The that hard- sounds about right. <laughs> yes, the commitment mm-hmm. to being right, even when you are loud and wrong. Mm-hmm. So, hashtag Third Fantasy is a very um, fun Christian-oriented um, young adult fantasy for for the youths. So I'm really excited about it. I. I, I'm already in love with that book. I'm already in love with that world. I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for there to be crossover between the projects. Ooh. Yeah, because there is a bit. Like, I just, oh, I'm cool. so excited. I'm so excited. That's so cool. Okay, so we're going to be looking out for your future announcements. <laughs> yes, announcements plural. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. It'll, it may take me some time. Give me a few years. 
Oh, a couple probably for Eliza Black. But yeah, let me get out of grad school real quick because my goodness, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. But yeah, give me a couple of years and there should be book announcements. Maybe have some character art. Yeah, I definitely want to start. Yes, I because like Eliza and Laz in my head, I already see them because I already oh, have like a mood board for the book mm-hmm. and literally but what like cache has read multiple versions of tales of eliza black and my um one of my other cps hasn't she just hears me talk about it and she's like i want to read about last please give me <laughs> the book and i'm like bro we discussed this you're gonna be the beta so you can't be reading it while it's in process you gotta get it fresh and she's yeah. just like i mean okay but also i'm trying <laughs> To see Lab, like everyone is already very in love with him, whether they have actually read it or not. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, this feels like he's going to need some character art. For sure. And you'll get to execute your vision exactly how you I want can't it. Wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. There's, yeah, there's going to be a lot around Tales of Eliza Black. I'm glad it's my first. Um, specifically, like, like one of the things that I like about like Forthright is she has a very vibrant blog. Um, and Patreon. So on her Patreon, she has amaranthine interludes of like one of the one of the side characters mm. in the first book is like the main focus of the interludes, and we see what he's doing throughout, like after book one, and then while book two is going on, and then there's like a jump, and it's like okay, this is going on between book three and four, and mm. it's it's so good and it's so well done because you see you recognize like oh this is when that's happening like oh I remember he popped up in this conversation and now I see what he was doing before and after like Mm. that sort of stuff I find just makes the world much more lush and draws readers in because the way I will skip to my PO box waiting for something from forthright I will Mm. literally be like it's hot outside and I don't really want to but I gotta go get my babies at the PO box they can't be there for too long because you know it's hot they're gonna (laughs) burn up like I'm so committed and I want my readers to sort of have that same opportunity to fall into the world even outside of the boundaries of the book. So like, I'm really excited to start a Patreon in the next like six to eight months where there's sort of like little snippets of things going on outside of the um, period of the book. Okay, six to eight months, you heard her. <laughs> now, now she got to commit. <laughs> We'll be waiting. Yeah, get, get your coins ready for her Patreon. Just start exactly. saving now, yeah. Yeah, I had a, a small question. We talked a little bit about um, Twitter earlier. Darling Twitter. And uh, <laughs> calling out versus calling in. Um, that ravenous bird. Yeah. I was just wondering if you think that there's space or are there already spaces uh, for online for meaningful literary criticism? Um, should, we be try- should we be trying to build that for ourselves as Black authors? Um, yes, to, to the second question, always. Mm-hmm. Always. We will grow old if we are able before they are, before someone else builds something for us without mm-hmm. some sort of like slimy mm-hmm. bob on the tag. So mm-hmm. I definitely think we need to build our own spaces of speculative criticism. Um, especially like being in the academy, I'm like, yeah, like, like science fiction studies is a thing science fiction criticism is a thing um but you know there's always a little a little some something around access when it comes to the academy where it's like right but who can publish in that journal mm. how like how high up do you have to be is it enough for someone to have 
a YouTube channel or a Twitch or a website where they talk about their writing journey mm. and they like they have both a vibrant community. Is that enough for them to write about this and publish when they have shown in a community that they are conversant in the literature? Mm. Or do they need letters behind their name? Do they need books out? Because like, let's be clear, it costs money to publish a book if you're going to pay for it yourself. Like that's, that's a difficult thing if you, and then if you can't get into the trad club, that ends the options. So it, there's a, there's a way in which like, yes, it's, it's not like it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. but when we talk about having something where you don't have to have reached these loftier, these financially motivated sort of benchmarks, I definitely think it would benefit to have these spaces in like Violet Magazine, like those sort of mm -hmm places where you can publish creative work I think they are perfectly poised to have like a criticism journal extension or invite mm -hmm. papers on some like that sort of thing like I think there yeah. are spaces already that can expand soon mm -hmm. because they already have the FIA uh, annual convention right like so it's they I, I, I think we could we could definitely we could definitely expand some of the things that we already have and that already have like a following and have like a backlist and, and reach and influence. I definitely think that we could expand those into mm -hmm. these more critical spaces. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So our last question for you, do you have any advice for new black writers? Yes. <laughs> so, I would say, do I have to pick like one thing? Just no. give us all, give us yeah. all the- Whatever comes to Throw it out there, okay. Mm -hmm. Number one, I would say, um, work on your craft. I think it was, I think it definitely was Ayana Gray at, um, I think it was FireCon 2020, um, or maybe 2019, who knows, but time, anyway. But she said, um, work on your, work on your pros, not your platform. And I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that where it's like, yeah, you can be a Twitter demic, but like, so can anybody who listens to enough podcasts or watches five minutes of a YouTube clip of something. Like, it's mm -hmm. not hard to sound like you know what you're talking about mm -hmm. for 240 characters, but that doesn't really get you anything but Twitter points, which, you know, those things spin fast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that's not really something to invest in at the, at the risk of your pros. Mm -hmm. absolutely having a platform is useful especially for indie authors but like everything has a time so I would say first and foremost spend some time with yourself when you're not you know being influenced by a bunch of other people spend some time with yourself and what do I want what kind of stories do I want to write what are the craft books about that okay let me just take some time before I get distracted by the, the brouhaha of booktube or authortube or book twitter or bookstagram all these different things let me just spend some time in craft there's mm -hmm. like reading and writing and really developing my voice because when you develop your voice that's when you know who you should be talking to if you're just out here like a newborn infant and blinking in the sunlight you're gonna be like anybody what such a dangerous thing to say. yes <laughs> such yes. a dangerous thing 
no parameters, I would not recommend. Get you mm -hmm. some parameters. And the way to get parameters is to develop as much as possible, right? Because it's, it's a process that's never really ending. But begin to develop yourself as a writer so that you know who you are looking for in a community. Um, and then I would say, continue to read, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, keep reading in the genre that you write, keep reading in the adult and kit lit categories of that genre, keep reading and um, intersecting genres. Like for me, I write fantasy, but also reading mystery thriller horrors is really helpful for me to like fine tuning the development of some of my subplots, right? Mm -hmm. So like read widely um, and then, you know, invest in community, but be patient about that because there are worse things than being alone. You could be not alone with the wrong people. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> so, yes. That is true. Yes. So, you know, you ain't got to be scared, but don't be hasty. You got a lot of good lines. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Brett. Um, I do have Everything. one last question. Where sure. can our listeners find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram um, at Brit Riderly, B-R-I-T-T, Riderly, W-R-I-T-E-R-L-Y. I'm pretty sure I spelled that right. It's on the screen, so I could have just read that instead of looking at the ceiling. But at any rate, it's Brit Riderly. Um, and then on YouTube, my channel is Writer's Ambition. So that is, that's where you can find me. Definitely follow me in those spaces so that you can see when I do expand to like a Patreon, a website, Kickstarter, whatever comes next. Yeah, six, yes. eight months. <laughs> oh goodness, I should not have said that. But that's, that's what it made me for. So now I have accountability. My goodness. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Okay, well, yeah, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, Britt.